0: This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 30 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is talking to people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. I'll ask lots of questions. I'll, I'll dig a little bit deeper than probably most people because I'm that way.
1: I'm an open book. Evanston, Illinois, right north of Chicago. Um, well, I'm nowhere near Canada from where I am here. I have relatives, um, but yeah, I haven't seen them for years. But I, I used to go when I was growing up to Toronto.
0: That's the voice this week of my guest, Larry Cole. He's the founder and CEO of Revenue Climber. Larry believes you need tons of revenue, you need money, it's the foundation for successful employment. But how do you scale the money summit, enjoy the climb and feel part of something? He helps entrepreneurs make the decision on when to spend money on tools like social media consulting, storytelling, branding and then when to make the leap. Having fought the self employment battle for years, Larry helps you navigate the complex landscape of self employment solutions whilst avoiding hucksters who promise the fraudulent step by step secrets to financial success. I first started by asking Larry about the name of the company and where the idea came from. The name of the company
1: is Revenue Climber. And the idea of Revenue Climber just comes from a lifetime of self employment. And all the challenges that I've experienced being self employed. And, you know, what I've noticed is that there's just this consistent frustration many of us have where we know we have a really strong professional capability, but we're putting so much into our businesses and we're having trouble um, getting known. We're having trouble financially sometimes. Sometimes we have. Uh, issues with having clients we don't like or working too much. Um, um, Anybody listening who's been self-employed or is knows exactly what I'm talking about. So the idea of Revenue Climber is to uh, solve that problem. And uh, frankly, it started with me wanting to solve the problem for myself. Um, And now I've you turn that into a, a company.
0: You know, that's fantastic because I know I interviewed uh, a couple of people actually recently from my show on another track and they were saying that it was all very well. There's lots of information out there for new start companies, you know, being an entrepreneur, getting things off the ground. But there's very little, there's almost like, you know, the, 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 the main street with the tumbleweed rolling down the street of information for people who have already got a business, who are trying to scale it. They're trying to get to that next level, you know, move it from 500,000 to 1.5 million, for example. And what I loved about you when I spoke to you last week and you gave me 15 minutes of your valuable time, and I really appreciated that, was you have a saying, which I think is on your LinkedIn, is peerless peer community for self-employed professionals and business owners who didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I love that. Tell us a little bit more about that, where that kind of idea came from and how it got sort of formulated.
1: You know, I thought long and hard, and I have some digital courses put together and workshops around helping other people do the same thing. I thought really hard about uh, my customer group. So the members essentially, because Revenue Climber starts with a community. So people are joining the Revenue Climber uh, Club. You start to see the trends. And this is very important when you create an audience for yourself or a customer segment. There's characteristics that people who join have in common. And I started noticing that one of them is that there's this cynicism that's born out of experience of spending a lot of money on solutions that don't work. So people are being attracted by people often who have really good social proof and a big brand name. So they see that and they think, oh my God, they must know something. And then they pay them. And nothing changes. And it's not that the solution is bad. It's, you know, nobody got there by mistake. Um, when they, you know, these sort of gurus, I call them, built their companies and their solutions, they, they really did build something that works. The problem is it won't work for people who are giving the responsibility over to that service provider, thinking that if I give you money in return, I'll get a solution that'll work for me. Because the complexity of what it takes to be successful gets in the way. So if you buy a hammer from somebody, and it turns out you also need a screwdriver and a wrench um, or something else, it's just not going to work if you don't have that full toolbox. And I think fundamentally, the didn't just follow up the The turnip truck people are the ones that already know this. So when I tell them, they're just nodding their heads.
0: Actually, you key into something really important. It's the cynicism. Being a business owner myself and trying to build a business over many, many years, you get to a point where you say enough is enough. I I can't spend any more money on these gurus, as you call them, you know, because the cynicism does kick in. But how do you divert the cynicism off at the pass, you know, to make sure that you convert that into really positive energy that allows you to build your business up? How do you do that?
1: The first part of it is to prove it to people rather than tell them how great I am. And I looked at this company and I said, I'm not going to have a hammer or a wrench or anything really. I'm not going to have a solution. What I'm going to have is a framework, a methodology where people can do an assessment and then pick The aspects of it that they think will lead them to a solution and some sort of evaluation um, of that decision. So maybe there's blind spots that their minds can open up to. Um, So as people come into the community, they have the opportunity to take a lot uh, for a very, very low financial risk, if any. Um, And that gives them an opportunity to meet other people. And often get a pretty significant benefit at no cost. And I think that proves the trust. It builds the trust with what I'm doing. And frankly, not even with me, but more with the community and what's been put together for them. And that gives people an opportunity to start to get more strategic. So you move from community, essentially, to what I call pathway to revenue. People have to find their own pathway to revenue. And that's up in my LinkedIn banner as well. And then they have to take responsibility for developing and executing it, but with the support of the community and an accountability group, if they want that, as well as a number of workshops run by all of these experts that I'm mentioning, not me. So the tools matter. It's just don't buy the tools first. Develop the pathway to revenue in the community before you start spending money on tools.
0: There are certain things fundamentally as human beings that we look for to actually reinforce trust, isn't there? What do you see as the key indicators when you work with these groups? How do you build that gradual trust off so it sticks? The first
1: part uh, to me is around purpose. If you know your purpose and it's not a marketing tactic, even though it is used for marketing, you are able to put something in front of people that's authentically honest and real. Now, most people are savvy enough to know not to trust that right away, but they're going to look a little deeper. And I think for me, the idea is to put that out there in an authentic way and allow people the opportunity over time to not with me, but to build trust in the community as well as the pathway to revenue concept. And that's
0: worked well. You did key again on community. Why is, as human beings, why is community so important to us, do you think, uh, on all different levels?
1: You know, everything to me comes back to fundamental biological principles. And whenever I do anything, I kind of try to go back like a thousand years because essentially nothing's changed and probably never will change. I mean, obviously there's evolution, but, you know, not in our lifetime, of course. The fundamental need for context, I think, is part of it. Getting out of your own way, being less selfish, being more involved with others and open uh, to perceptions, I think, is a big underlying biological need and it can get solved with community. I think another part of it is just context around information. I kind of built this stuff all for myself and tested it out, took the elements I thought worked uh, and tried to figure out how can I make them work for other people. And one of the things that really worked was for me to find my group and my people and get information from them and then know from just seeing purpose because everybody who's really good has a purpose behind what they're doing. That's authentic. Every single person I've found, it's a common trait of anyone who's very successful, these so-called gurus. And that purpose gives me the belief that what they do works. And once I really understand that within that community context, then I feel like I want to invite them in as what we call Sherpa guides. So these are people that run the workshops and and bring the expertise. So I don't have to know how to do everything. But I think once people get in that, there's a meeting of a fundamental evolutionary uh, need. And and that's why it works. And you see communities sprouting up all over the place, particularly after the pandemic. Um, But I think the pandemic just accelerated something that was happening anyways.
0: One thing I wanted to just ask you about, and I want a real-life situation, because I always like to give my listeners a uh, real-life scenario. You, You develop some of these ideas or concepts for yourself. So say you're an entrepreneur, you're running a business pretty much on your own, you maybe have one other person that helps you. It's maybe something, it's a supply business or something very straightforward but because the pandemic, things have really slowed down. And, you know, you're going into that office every Monday morning because you're religious about it. You're sitting at that desk at, say, nine o'clock and you've lost the will. You've lost the will to go forward. The, the energy levels are so low. You've hit your reserves. The money's very low in the bank, if any. And you just really don't know where to turn, Larry. So what did you do that you can sort of help the listeners say, well, here's my map. Here's the practical steps I took. Can you... Maybe tell us a bit about that. I think it's different
1: for everybody. Um, And for me, what I need is hope. So when I hit that moment towards the end of last year with my other company, we had made it through the pandemic pretty well and we're doing okay. But our pipeline collapsed. So when I looked at the collapse, of the pipeline, it brought up a lot of fear. Um, But we kept hitting our break even point and going above and I was able to pay myself still. But when the business started to collapse in September, where the pipeline had not really come back, it sort of came back in August, but it, we weren't seeing new client closes at the rate we needed. And we saw a couple of people uh, really teetering and potentially going out of business that had provided a lot of income for us. And I kind of looked at the situation and I said, I, I just can't do this anymore I can't rebuild it and I don't want to be $300,000 in debt, which is kind of where this thing was going. Um, So someone who'd been sort of taking over the company for me, even though I'm the principal and still am the only owner, uh, said, he's like, I can turn this around. And he wanted to, he was motivated where I wasn't. So I passed over the reins to him and found what I really wanted to do, which was this. And I think people have to, kind of start there. It's like, what do you really want to do? And then practically, how can you do it financially, where you're still finding a way to make an income, but you're moving yourself in a direction that has the purpose underneath it, So you're motivated. Um, I think at that time, and I'd done this before, I really wouldn't have been motivated enough to successfully turn that business around at the time it needed. Um, so in some ways, the stars you know, converged and I got lucky. Um, but I think intentionally people uh, can look at their situation and, and know that, okay, I got to do this thing I don't want to do, but it's temporary because at the same time, I'm working out and finding what do I really want to do?
0: Yeah, and and that's interesting. We talk about the passion and purpose. How confused do people get about passion and purpose? What's your perspective?
1: You know, I was on a clubhouse call uh, on this a couple of months ago, and I forget what this woman said, but she said, you know, I'm trying to figure out what my purpose is, and I think what will work is. And I thought, okay, wait a minute, (laughs) you know, and this doesn't start with a mark to finding a marketing tactic. So I think she was way, way off in the wrong direction. From a definitional standpoint, I like the Mark Twain quote uh, quite a bit. And I go back to that. And what Mark Twain said is, you know, the most important day in your life is when you're born. And the second most important day is when you find out why. I think I was able to get to purpose for me around this idea I have of people not having to work for other people and being successfully self-employed as my purpose in life and making that happen and helping people do that, because I'd done so much personal work on myself. So I was really kind of an empty vessel and open to these things that were sort of bubbling up in me. And I think some people are not. And one of the things I think, if you're not, you need to get a coach. And I certainly know some people who are really good at that. One way to get unstuck is I think just sort of start looking around. I mean there's clubhouse rooms, good ones, there's seminars, there's books, there's, there's all kinds of people. Um one of the starting points is start with why, which is Simon Sinek's TED Talk and that's up on YouTube. Um that's a good place to get started. Maybe that triggers, you know, something for people. I know uh Holly Woods uh very well and she started something called the Emergence Institute and she has a find your purpose and develop a purpose-driven product and company. Out of that purpose, sort of a a workshop within the Emergence Institute. I think if anybody gets stuck, that's a way to get unstuck without falling into the marketing trap.
0: A lot of people get on that bandwagon, it becomes the normal. But really what your company is doing is see the wood from the trees, take a step back, take a breath of air, relax, and then start to see you know, the way through. Is that the essence of what you're doing? Is that what's in your heart?
1: Yes. And the way I would so as I as I did my digital pathway to revenue program to help people work through not as much just this, but the whole pathway to revenue for their business to grow top line revenue, effectively take control of it, get what they want out of their companies. This is just one module. In that, So I'm not a coach. I mean, I'm not going to help people figure out their purpose and their motivation and work with them on their mindset. There's a whole industry of people, you know, that do that sort of thing. And that's another example of the hammer looking for the nail. So if you hire a purpose coach or a mindset coach, and they work you through all this successfully, and you get to the other end, you still haven't made any money. So what about all the other pieces of it? Um, And they're not going to go there. And so to me, the purpose module, which is within our digital uh, program, is a starting point. And then the way I look at it is whenever anybody gets stuck, my job is to put together a resource for them, uh, a network of what we call Sherpa guides, and then also... The other side of it is revenue outfitters. So the revenue outfitter is someone who who has the tool. They can deploy the tool uh, for you, teach you how to use it or do it for you. And the Sherpa guides are people who run workshops to help people work through these things. And I think when you pull all that together, it makes practical all of these things that people may feel are not going to really get them where they want so they don't do it. I think when people leave this part out, I think they can still be successful. I think just they may be less happy about what they're doing because they may not be connected to a deeper part of themselves, which is what gives you that mindset and motivation to push through those inevitable hard times.
0: How important is it to share though, to, to network and to share that feeling and to you know, cause you've got a motivational energy. I certainly have, you know, I really enjoy what I do. I'm passionate about what I do when I come to the podcast and it, it, it feeds my soul. So how do you share your energy and your soul? Not just through revenue climb, but what other things you did allude a little bit, what other things can you do to help people? Well, I think for me, my job is to be the face of this company
1: and uh, not to do the work, And as I successfully get to that, I talk to a lot of people. And the way I like to do this is anybody who joins or is interested in joining or being a Sherpa partner or being a speaker at one of our events or a revenue outfitter member, I like to talk to them and communicate this vision. And if they respond, then I know that they could be a good fit for some piece of this. If they don't respond, then I'm asking myself, maybe I don't want to invite them in because that could hurt the culture. So if they look at it just as a financial ROI, they start talking about ROI. You know, people, I was talking to one guy and he says, well, what's the ROI on joining? And I said, zero, zero. And the reason I said that wasn't that there's no ROI. It's that I don't want people to think that way. Uh, Because I know where that's going to go, which is that he is going to bring a negative energy into the community. And that really can't happen. It's one kind of disaffected person who's saying, Well, I did this for three months and it didn't work. Like, well, you didn't work. Love it. I know these things work, um, but I also know that they don't work as a baked kind of step-by-step, step, you know, do this and it'll work thing. It's a, it's a framework you have to work through and take responsibility for making it work yourself and being open to seeing where are the pitfalls. So somebody thinks I'm great at explaining my company and what I do and they do it and everybody looks at them like, I don't know what you do. I have no idea what you're talking about. If you can't recognize that and move into a storytelling mode, which is what works as you explain what you do. Uh, you're not going to be successful. And some people like this guy that I mentioned just will refuse to do that. And they'll look at it as something like, well, LinkedIn doesn't work, you know, for example, or you know, your idea of building my own community and starting my own peer group of CEOs, that, ah, that didn't work. And I think that negative energy is the main thing. Mindset's the most important thing. And that negative energy of nothing works, this doesn't work. you're lying and blaming other people for your own failings and shortcomings is what hurts business owners and self-employed people the most.
0: Yeah. It's so refreshing to hear that from you because that's, I would say a slightly unconventional approach, especially in North America and Canada, you don't hear that kind of approach that you've got that kind of going back to the, the base You know, it's a community. Let me grab your hand and let me take you on that journey. Let's go together and see what it feels like, you know, because every situation is different, isn't it? But it's about bringing human emotions to the table, isn't it?
1: It always is. And that's how you market your company, too. You know, one of the things I do quite a bit outside of just talking to people who are, you know, potential um, partners or members or supporters uh, for Revenue Climber is I look for trends uh among people who've been successful and what's emerging in in the market and you know like i'd mentioned i think one of the themes that i see over and over again is every single person without exception has some kind of a positive focused understandable point of view that they're bringing to the world that is fundamentally real and uh, eventually people see that You know, there's even some people that are what I would call sort of hucksterish. So, you know, they're screaming from the rooftops. You know, you see these people on Instagram and YouTube in particular. And, you know, I kind of roll my eyes a bit, but as I look deeper, uh, many of them uh, are actually uh, real uh, about what they're saying. It's just maybe their audience are people who, you know, grew up in, you know, households where there really wasn't any money, for example, and they want to get rich. And, and that's what they want. So that's what they're selling is a way to do that. And they really mean it because maybe they grew up the same way and they found a way to do it. My complaint is often though that following what that person did won't work because most people aren't like them, but the techniques they use work, but they have to be adjusted. And there's usually some gaps that need to be filled in as well. Um, so as I spend time trying to figure this out, and sort of pull those commonalities together, I get a really good understanding of the things that have to be included in what anybody's doing to get that pathway to revenue down.
0: You're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Larry Cole. Next, I wanted to ask Larry a little bit about his family and what it was like to work in the family business. And what did he learn?
1: I was very much disconnected emotionally from my family of origin when I was a kid. Um, So I was definitely the black sheep um, within the family. So I was taught a lot of negativity. Uh, about myself. And it's not something anyone from the outside would recognize. It's very real and was um, inside my family for me. And if you look at my family, the other thread is self-employment. So I go back to my grandfather, Leo, he's a German Jew, and he came to Chicago in 1870s. And he didn't come with very much. And he started a company. At the time, they would go door to door and sell products to stores and things like this. And, you know, he did a lot of different things. And I think at one point he was importing ceramics from German artisans and then having Eastern European artists, of which there were many in Chicago at the time, paint them. And then he would go door to door and sell them to retail stores. And then my grandfather, so was my great grandfather. um, And then my grandfather went into that business and they had a lot of conflict, but again, like with me, that fundamental, I'm going to work for myself was there. And neither one of these people ever collected a paycheck from anyone else. They never had a job. And then my father and my grandfather opened a business together as well. And they worked together for many, many years. And my father ended up taking over that business. And then I went into that business when I was in my early 20s. But I didn't want to. I wanted to get away from my family, but I felt unemployable. Um, I was very depressed and I had some social issues. I just a lot of drugs and alcohol and things like this. And I was very disconnected from my peer group. And I didn't feel equipped to get a job or go to graduate school or anything. So it was almost like a, um, a negative move for me to go into his business. But I was great at it. <laughs> So I was really successful, but miserable, you know, doing what I was doing. And then um, we had a lot of conflict and then I left and everything I learned in that business. And from my father, you know, I, he never collected a paycheck in his life. So it's three generations uh, where no one, I, I did collected a paycheck at certain points in my life where in between companies. I worked for other people, not what I really wanted, but I did it. And that three generations there and me for most of my career have paid our own way. And I think that's a fundamental theme in the family that stuck for me and really does fit my destiny and and my purpose in the world uh, of self-employment. But I resisted it quite a bit. I thought it was bad and I should be doing something else. And there's something wrong with me that I can't essentially get out yeah. that historical destiny or whatever you, you want to call it.
0: It's interesting to listen to your story because it's quite shocking, actually, bearing in mind the person I'm looking at today is a very, very positive, lots of energy, and there's a real you know, drive there. But I think, I suppose you're a a victim of of your circumstances, aren't you? Originally, your environment that you're in and it either makes you go one way or the other. Because you said something really, really important there. You said, I was very successful at what I did, but I was miserable. What happened there? Why did you recognize that?
1: I had an idea of what I was supposed to be and was not able to achieve that. And because of that, nothing that I did regardless of how well I did it was going to work for me. So I I was in a bind and I thought I was supposed to be some kind of a lawyer or an economist or, you know, a journalist or or something more kind of intellectual. And I think I looked at business and sales um, as um, I looked down on it and didn't want it. And uh, I think some of that was trying to separate um, from my family and not be a part of that world at all.
0: One of the great things that I think you talked about very briefly as well, and I have a passion for this, is cold calling. And did you build your business up around cold calling because you enjoyed it? Or was it something a lot of people don't necessarily enjoy, but you were quite good at it? Was that something that really helped in formulating where you wanted to go with your passion, for instance?
1: With the first business, the family business that I went into, it was cold calling that built that business. So we got it up from $2 million in sales to $6 million in sales in a couple of years. And I did that off the back of cold calling. And I uh, took basically products like my great-grandfather, I guess, and went around uh, to stores and, and found new clients. And then I also did that to find new manufacturers to work with. Now, I've been in technology and services, other kinds of more modern businesses since. But that's where I was at the beginning. And... At that point, I loved the cold calling. I loved uh, getting out and building that territory. And it was something my family had never been able to do. So that business was very customer service oriented. So it was not about going and finding and making things happen and growing and building and hiring a team and all this that I just intuitively knew how to do. It was more about just serving the people who showed up basically. And that's only going to take you so far. But I did have some experience of later uh, where I worked for one company for 18 months after I left that family business. And all I did was cold call eight hours a day. And it was um, a very small marketing communications firm. We sold to Fortune 50 corporations that the division of the company for us to be able to charge what we wanted to charge had to be over $2 billion. Um, And those are really tough companies to get into. So you're going to call somebody for nine to 12 months sometimes before you even get a call back, or if you're lucky to get them on the phone. And that was before LinkedIn and some of these other tools were uh, available. And I was successful. I mean, I, I sold million dollar projects and all this as a kid, really, but it was incredibly painful emotionally. And I did kind of crash and burn. Uh, at one of those companies where there was a moment where I just felt like I can't go into work anymore and just keep doing that. And what I've learned today is a lot of it has to do with my inability to work methodically in a system. So I need a lot of variety and to be creative and come up with ideas. And that was not a part of what was needed in that job once you figured it out, the key to being successful with cold calling and outbound sales is to do it over and over and over again and not to get derailed uh, by any rejection uh, and have resilience. And uh, I was not able to do that very well, but I did it for years, despite the fact that I didn't want to do it. And frankly, I felt trapped in that. I didn't know how to get out uh, of that kind of a job for uh, a number of years.
0: So, what was the recognition? Eventually, what was the the straw that brought the camels back? The day you went in, you said, "I'm not enjoying this anymore," and that was it. You just changed wholesale. Is that the way you did it? What
1: happened is that you know I left my family's business and I went to work in the marketing communications industry, selling uh, to corporate enterprise, and it was all built on cold calls. You had to go build your own book of business, and I. I did that for a number of years for two different companies. And then I went back and took over my family's business and went into some real headwinds where the industry collapsed. And I was able to get out of that business with a lot of cash because I closed at the right time. And I built up the receivables, cut the expenses, and then closed it. Um, So it was almost like selling it uh, was actually better than if I'd sold it. And then from there, I got into technology. So I'd done a lot of networking in Chicago and the marketing tech industry was really exploding at the time. So I made a name for myself in that industry by just networking. So people started seeing me at events and I I got hired, but it was always cold calling. I I had to start and they were just like, well, go find us some business and then I'd have to do that. Uh, It was very, very difficult. Um, And there was a moment with this where I hit the bottom when a tech company, was the fourth one I'd worked for in like two and a half years, made me an offer. And it was pretty cool stuff. I I really liked what they were doing. And I felt like I could be successful with it. And they wanted me to build out a partner channel with agencies, which I'd already been messing around with. So I felt like I could do it. And uh, the offer letter never came. And I called the head of sales and he said, oh, that's weird. And then he called me back and he said, yeah, I I don't know what happened, but our board of directors uh, had put out, they have a hiring freeze. So I'm not allowed to hire you now, but yeah, we love you. Just, you know, check back in three months. And, you know, my attitude at the time was unfinished. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to do this again. Uh, And that led to figuring out a call sales partners, which was the business I started eight years ago, which I still own. And is still running and successful. I'm not running it anymore, though. I have hired somebody to be the president of it so I can focus on revenue climber. Um, But getting into that business wouldn't have happened if I had gotten that. I got the job, but if, um, if they had not had a hiring freeze, I'd probably have not started call sales partners. Um, I'm sure something else would have happened, but not at that time.
0: That was interesting talking about your other business that you've been running and you've now got somebody else helping you to to run that or effectively lead that business. How easy is it to to give of the reins of a business that you've built up? I mean, for some people it's probably very easy or maybe it is difficult, but what's the logistics of that and how do you make it a good transition?
1: It was so easy, It really was. I think back in my 20s, even with that family business, originally, I realized that I don't want to do the work and I want to do whatever I want. I don't want to have to do the work and I don't want to have to serve clients directly even though I've done that most of my career. And with Revenue Climber, it's different uh, because it's more building the community and the engagement with the community as opposed to providing a service to somebody and having to deliver that service. This is a very different kind of business, which fits what I really want. And, you know, if I looked at that dynamic of, you know, how do I turn this over? It really came to finding somebody that I trusted based on having worked together for like four and a half, five years already. And I was already kind of turning it over to him anyways. The clients were still new me and I would check in with them. And I was on some of the update calls, but not all of them anymore. And I still did a lot of the strategy work, but essentially I turned over the operations and client management to this other person before I ended up hiring him to run the whole company. And now the clients don't know me. Um, there's still clients from way back that do, but they don't miss me, I'm sure, because he's doing a great job and he is better suited to be a president of the company than I am. And I see him fitting that role really well. And I do not see myself as a good president or client engagement leader. Um, That's not a good fit for what I like and what I'm good at doing.
0: And that's great. I mean, that's maturity there, isn't it? An experience of life that's helped you kind of formulate that. But no, glad to hear that. And I think that, I hope you don't mind me mentioning the name. Is it Glenn, I think it is, that runs your company now? Glenn, yeah, Glenn Torrigiani is uh, is running that business. Now. Yeah, I wanted to get a mention from him in there because it's not easy taking over a business from somebody else. He talks a little bit about solutions from people doing things in different ways to what currently happens, you know, the gurus and selling this concept. But you did make a statement, which I want to challenge you on, which I thought was really good. If you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Oh, yeah. I I love that. I just burst that laugh when I heard it. What do you mean by that? What's that all about? It's a book um, that I read
1: like years ago. And, you know, I don't know if I've got it right or not, to be honest, but Uh, What I took away from the book was that nobody has the answer. You know, the idea of finding a God or an all-knowing being or a leader to me makes no sense. And I think that the framework is really uh, for life is inside myself. And my job is to free myself up so I get out of my own way. So my small ego self that thinks I'm important, which I'm not, gets out of the way so my true self can come out. And I think people are looking for the Buddha. They're looking for somebody to follow that has the answers. And I think that's where the problem comes in. And that's why some of these people are so successful selling people things that only work for maybe 5% of the people that buy from them. And it's because they put themselves out there as that Buddha who has all the answers. And, you know, the real Buddha did not say that, you know, the real Buddha, Jesus Christ, um, Martin Luther King, you know, all these great figures did not say, I have all the answers. And if you just follow me and do what I say, I will give them to you. That's not what was happening there at all. They were creating movements where the people were responsible for opening themselves to the answers and taking our responsibility and control for the, of the movement. And I think that's a great model for people. So I, I don't know if I got the book right or not, but that's what I made up in my own head about that phrase.
0: How important is LinkedIn in your world? I know, I know you alluded to a, a conversation about it uh, you know, last week, but where does that feature in your world? For me, LinkedIn's
1: fundamental. I, I would not have been able to do this with Revenue Climber without LinkedIn. And if LinkedIn booted me off their system, which they are doing to some people, LinkedIn is, uh, uh, these companies, uh, frankly, are uh, dangerous. They are not your friend. But without LinkedIn, I, I would have been in trouble and I would be today. Um, but what I will say about that is that um, that will not continue forever. The first part of it is take your clients, your community, off of anybody else's platform. Put them in your own platform. It's your own list, it's owned, not rented from someone who could turn it off. If a company can make a decision that destroys and wipes out your company, for example, everything's on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or YouTube or whatever, and that's, without that, your income's gone, you have a big problem. Um, and I'm certainly there with LinkedIn. Wow. But I won't be forever because I know this. And as we build our community out more in our own platform that we have in our own lists, um, we will have that. So that's kind of phase one. Phase two for me is figuring out how to do this without LinkedIn. There's clubhouse. There's lunch club. There's Instagram. There's YouTube. There's TikTok. There is discord now there's a new company called hub which has events there's a lot of ways to do this outside of linkedin but right now i'm focused on linkedin because it's working And I need to focus myself rather than try to do everything at one time. But eventually I will start branching out into these other areas.
0: Yeah. And I think you kind of summed up a little bit. See them as stepping stones, isn't it? Effectively, the different platforms will help you do different things at different times. But yeah, don't rest in your laurels. Always have a get at jail free card.
1: Always. You know, I've met a lot of people um, who built, You know, and I've heard about this quite a bit of, of, you know, million dollar businesses off of Facebook. Well, you can't do that anymore. Um, Facebook just wiped them out. And, you know, we're in the golden era of LinkedIn right now, where the free organic reach is out of control. And I would say the same with a a clubhouse, uh, which has been great for me. A moderated room uh, on clubhouse has been incredible, Uh, helped quite a bit. And that's free. And the organic reach is incredible. Same with TikTok. I don't have the right kind of model for TikTok in my marketing right now but you know, could someday but and LinkedIn is allowing this too but at some point these platforms are looking for monetization of everything and as they get more and more crowded with more and more people creating content, you get pushed out and then you have to pay. So if you look at YouTube or Instagram now, it's really pay to play. And there is room for some of the top kind of personalities to get in new if they really got something special. But for most of us, you're just pushed out unless you really spend some serious money figuring it out. And eventually, I think that's going to happen with LinkedIn too.
0: So I want to take a different tact here. A little bird told me that you've written... A book or books, is that correct in the past?
1: I did. Yeah, I did write a book for Call Sales Partners, which has been rebranded Op Generation. And I'm working on another book for Revenue Climber. It's sort of um, a chapter kind of idea phase, but I want to get a little bit further with Revenue Climber as I test out all these different things that I'm doing before I turn it into a a second book.
0: Okay. So we'll look for that on Amazon, hopefully some stage in the future, or a local publisher somewhere near to you. Okay. Um, Very briefly before we go, I want to make sure that people can get a hold of you, Larry. So what's the best way of actually reaching out to you or connecting with you?
1: The best way is to go to revenueclimber.com and you can learn more about our community and reach out to me through that. The other way is on LinkedIn. Frankly, I don't check email very much. I probably look at email once a day, but I'm in that LinkedIn inbox all the time. <laughs> the messaging inbox is, has you know really replaced the email inbox for me as the main source of communication. So I'm in there all the time. So if you just spell out my name, I think I'm the only one. So I'm not that hard to find.
0: So, yeah, just remind people of your name, if uh, your full name. So Larry Call, K-A-U-L. Perfect. Larry, before we go, is there anything that you would say is a final part and message to anybody who is in a funk at the moment, who is stuck in a business that potentially is a good business, but because of circumstances and the environment that we're living in the last 18 months, they just feel really stuck. What would be one or two things that you would suggest to help them out of their hole at the moment where they are?
1: I think it's about context for me. And, you know, I've been suicidal. I've been at the bottom of of the barrel. I felt just despair that I'm going to have to make cold calls for the rest of my life. There's all kinds of things I've gone through. Um, I sold insurance door-to-door when I was 40, because i that's a whole other part of the story I didn't get into. But when I closed that family business and felt it was kind of unemployable at the time. So these things are, true for most of the people, if not, well, I'd say not all of the people that I've seen have a story like this, uh, who've been successful and it's real. So if you're in that moment, um, the key to me is keep your head up. Just ask why all the time. Um, if you can't get that through that, you don't have to be happy at this moment, you know, why would you be happy about you know, going through that? But you do have to be paying attention and you have to be taking action. Uh, on opportunities as you see them. Uh, otherwise, you won't get out of where you are.
0: That just sums it up, isn't it? You know, you don't have to be happy, but pay attention and do something. You know, that that's the key, isn't it, at the end of the day? All right, final question, I promise you. I always ask everybody this before we depart. If you were 18 again, what would you what would you tell young Larry? Have a good time, you know,
1: try not to work, go travel a lot. Uh, figure yourself out and live cheap. So find a way not to have anything, Um, just get rid of the possessions, travel the world, you know, kind of live off the land, you know, so to speak, and develop your skills, learn it's cheap, it's free. You don't have to go to school, not a big believer in education, believe in being self-taught. I I think, you know, paying people money, a lot of this kind of money for education is, It's a waste of money for a lot of people. Certainly for me, it was. Didn't need the degree, but I think I was not able to do that. I was just overwhelmed with this need to be uh, secure and successful. And I think I missed out uh, quite a bit because I, I suffered from that.
0: Great practical advice. And that's very refreshing to hear that, you know, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. It's been a real pleasure, Larry. I appreciate you coming online with us.
1: Thank you, David. Uh, I really appreciate it as well.
0: You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Larry Cole, making sure self-employment doesn't feel like hiking up Mount Everest with a boulder on your back. Remember there are more conversations coming up in the series. Just look out for On the Track with David Wilson on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a Brickham Production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.